Hi, everybody. So uh, for reasons that will uh, be made apparent uh, as you're listening to the show, we decided to do the kind of plugs and such at the beginning instead of the end. I'm here with my friend Brian Altano. Hi, how are you? I am chipper. Uh, it's been a good thing. It's a good episode coming up. We know because through the magic of nonlinear editing, uh, it's already been recorded. Uh, but I uh, wanted to let Brian uh, take a second and uh let us know, you know, outside of this uh, here, visit Pockets Full of Soup, where you can find his stuff. Brian, what do you do? Uh, sure. I do a lot of shows, a lot of hosting, a lot of podcast stuff. So usually I'm in uh, IGN videos and shows and podcasts there. I'm on Podcast Beyond, which is every single week on Wednesdays. I'm on Nintendo Voice Chat, which is every single week on Fridays. And every Thursdays, I'm on Up at Noon, which is a live show at 12 Pacific time with my co-host Max Scover, where we talk about video games, pop culture, movies, action figures, pizzas, all that fun stuff. Uh, at night... I'm on the Comedy Button, which is a show very near and dear to me. I've been doing it for five years now. We just hit our 250th episode. It's a lot. Uh, we're also on Patreon there, so if you want to support the show and you're used to supporting great shows like Jared's, I have a less good show that you can support over there. So come check that out. I think that's all my shit. Oh, I got an album out, too, and a new, a new one coming. It's called Misanthrope. That's the old one. Um, it's What's free. the new one called? The new one's called Continues. Continues? Yeah. Oh, wow. And Nine... Eight, seven. <laughs> it's, it's very video game okay. inspired, oh, so lovely. you totally nailed that. I'm glad you picked up on that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Also, uh, we want to thank our Patreon producers, uh, Nick Rie and Robert Nieder, whose generous support makes this show possible, and everybody who helps on Patreon at patreon.com slash Jared Petty. If you like what you're hearing here on Pockets Full of Soup, if you like what you're seeing, please, uh, if you have a few spare bucks, throw them our way. It helps immensely with the show. And uh, also, if you got anything you want to let us know about what's going on in your life, anybody you're thankful for, mail at pocketsfullofsoup.com. And on top of that, we have a Facebook group. And not just a Facebook group, but I would dare say perhaps the warmest, most welcoming Facebook group I've ever been privileged uh, I don't, to dude, be a I don't, part of. Dude, I man, I got the county button group. There are good they people are, over there. They are dope. Are we going to war? No, we're not going. They are. They are dope. A niceness war. Here's the. Here, yes, it's a meek off. Yeah, I think it was Jeremy Parrish first said. I'm stealing somebody else's joke yep. there, but he's like, "Who will inherit the earth? It's a meek off." Uh, so yeah, that's great. Stealing Jeremy's joke there, uh, but uh, yeah, because I'm not funny. I steal other people's. You are funny. Right. Stop saying you're not funny. You're funny. You said it again. You Look just made that. me laugh. Literally what? just now. I don't know what he's talking about. Do you see him laugh? I don't know. I, right. I, I, yes anyway it's, it's documented we're going into the episode <laughs> now thank you so much for all your help for watching listening supporting subscribing etc uh and uh, we kind of end the show on a different note today it's a heck of a story i think you're going to enjoy it hi everybody welcome to pockets full of soup the storytelling show i'm your host jared petty joined by a very cold brian altano i'm okay so i'm a, i think i'm a big soft california baby now but i grew up on the east coast and this used to be totally fine for me but, okay you know but now you're cold now I'm I'm like when it gets I'm maybe I'm getting old. Yeah, old cold. You know how old people are just constantly freezing. I I do know that. Yeah. Uh, well, it's happening to me as I went bald. I got colder all the time. Is like, that what it is? Oh my god. Well, you're not, you still got plenty of hair though. I well, mean, no. So I want I want like a Mario Kart level that only has two characters and it's like bald and gray hair. And okay. <laughs> see, <laughs> that's the race happening up here right now. Well, when you lose your hair, you get colder. But also, it is legitimately cold here. But you and I, we're dieting right now. Yeah. I think that makes you feel colder. Yeah, we're losing weight. So right there. But I'm going to just show right now how much tougher I am than you. Okay. I mean, all right, right here. You can narrate over. Nobody can hear me. So. Oh, you're, you're getting... Is this a long sleeve shirt underneath? Look at that. No, we're going short sleeve. Is this a, like a strip poker episode? <laughs> I didn't tell you what we're doing here, Brian, but uh, yes. There we is, go. Uh, Beautiful. Every time we're thankful for something on this episode, another article of clothing comes off. Thanks for having me back on your show. Thank you for coming back on. You are our first returning guest. 
Is that it really? Yeah, first one, first person we've had back. And that's because you told me a pretty fantastic story in the office uh, one day uh, last year. Yeah. And I wanted you to have a chance to come on here and tell it to everybody because it's like, wow, that's extraordinary. Now, on Pockets Full of Soup, we're always talking about the things and the people that we're thankful for. This week, we're, we're going to switch it up a little bit, and uh, we're going geographic uh, with our thankfulness. But not just geographic. Cultural, uh, I don't quite know... You've lived there. I haven't. Maybe you're the best one to sure. encapsulate this, Brian. But today, uh, I'm going to ask you about the place uh, yeah. that you're most thankful for in have, the world. Have people not done places? Nobody's done a place. I was like, I remember like hearing, learning what a noun was, and it was like per- person, place, or thing. I figured mm-hmm. Pockets Full of Soup was just like my favorite noun, the show. Oh, no, no. We've never done a place, but we're going to. We'll do this again. You're, well, it depends if this is a disaster. We've already started taking our clothes off. You did. Yeah, I did. That's true. <laughs> so uh, there is that. So yeah. it could turn out to be an unmitigated disaster. But, so let's, uh, yeah, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about New York City. We're going to talk about New York City. Yeah, New York City is, um, it's my favorite city in the world. You, you New Amsterdam, perhaps. Yes. Okay, yes. that place. Uh, there's something uh, very, very special about New York City. I'm not from San Francisco. I'm not from California. I never right. thought I'd move to California. I yeah. never really wanted to move to California. California to me was what it is probably to most people who see it on TV. It's just a bunch of insufferable assholes eating salads. <laughs> That's what it was like from the outside looking in. And San Francisco especially was uh, the Full House theme song. That's okay. it. And then maybe Rice Aroni. The, the San Francisco treat. Yeah, and the, and the Full House theme song. Yeah. And what else? And oh, the, the Rock. Not like the professional wrestler. But no, the, the, the movie. The movie. The Michael. <laughs> the, the the Michael Bay motion picture. The Michael Bay show. movie. Where do you fall on the Rock? Um, I try not to fall on the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you fall on the on the uh, motion picture? The Rock. It's fine. I don't think it's like I don't. I, I think it's like snakes on a plane bad, where it's not bad enough to be good bad. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Okay, so this is one of those where I, I find myself on the wrong end of a lot of discussions yeah. with this. People seem to to advocate for The Rock in ways that I don't understand. I yeah. watched Michael Beam get done gunned down in that shower with that music playing, and I was like, no, this is a bad movie. It's, I don't care if it's old James Bond. That's a great idea, but the execution, I don't know. What do you think? It's thoughts? a totally serviceable bad movie. But I don't think it's like I don't. People put it up there like with Die Hard and shit like that. Like, get the fuck out of here. It has a minecart level. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody knows there's old Civil War minecarts underneath Alcatraz. Yeah, yeah. Well, so my problem with it now that I've moved to San Francisco is that that police chase scene is. It's so stupid to get upset about this in a movie about like green bouncy balls full of poison, but. <laughs> They they ju- like every time a car turns in that police in that in that chase scene at the beginning, yeah. it's in a different neighborhood, yeah. which makes no sense. Well, like, that's that's whenever you see something that's filmed in a place that you know well, and then you see it someplace yep. else. And the uh, the town I was born in is where they filmed the uh, movie Mississippi Burning with Gene Hackman, mm-hmm. and it's just weird seeing these businesses that are, that were you know in this tiny, literally one stoplight southern town. Uh, transformed into 1960s segregation era America. One stoplight. One stoplight. Yeah. Was that a problem when they brought that in? What the the, the movie? No, when they introduced the first stoplight. I don't know. I, I was too young to remember. Okay. Uh, but because I, mean, I imagine people being like, "What the fuck do we need a stoplight?" They for? actually comment like, "There's this. T- it is this." dinky little town in Alabama, but there's this huge, impressive courthouse in the middle of like the 12 buildings that make up the square. Yep. And then there's this massive courthouse in the movie. Like Gene Hackman gets out of the car and he's like, 
a big courthouse. Like <laughs> I, I assume it's improv. Like it just That's looks. Like, it's very strange. It's weird. Those small towns are always just like, all right, we have a stoplight, a Seven Eleven, and the law. That's right. <laughs> you gotta have the law. You gotta have the law. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you wouldn't have it in the heat of the night otherwise. Yeah. Well, that was New Orleans. That was a small town. That's either. true. Small town police, man. That's I, I used to do nine one one center repair and yep. going to small town police stations is just as like it is one of the most colorful wonderful slices of americana you can imagine i think i think resident evil 2 got it right <laughs> i really Raccoon do City. i really do <laughs> leon kennedy it, the layout is terrible and uh none of it makes sense <laughs> but they're in charge of everything oh it's the old penny arcade thing you know it's, uh, I, I found the rooster key well great yep. and i find the chicken door i'll let you know you yeah, know so that, yeah. uh, stuff uh, like that but, i love i love that but back to san francisco yeah. and not just the rock um san francisco is it doing a bad new york city impression um, no, I think that, uh, people who think that it's everything you can get from a major city are perfectly happy, but <clears throat> you, you get kind of broken once you go to a bigger one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a perfectly fine, perfectly adequate, uh, at times adorable little city. Mm-hmm. And I do genuinely love it here. And it mm-hmm. took me a while. I, I, I wasn't necessarily kicking and screaming about San Francisco, but I did come around to it a lot more than when I first moved. You're here. a great San Francisco apologist and you live right in San Francisco. I mean, I, you're, yeah, you're I right do. smack in the middle. Yeah. I'm right smack in the middle of the city. Um, I'm a kind of a city person. I've lived, I think like a significant portion of my life now has been spent living in major cities okay. and if not visiting major cities when, when it's time for vacation, like I like to go to, um, I like to go to places like Paris and Barcelona. Is that where you were last? Was Paris? Was that I, your last? Uh... Yeah, I, I was in Paris twice in a year because um, I do love it there. Mm-hmm. It feels like a weird alternate dimension, like fringe episode version of New York City. Whereas, really? Yeah, it's Paris is awesome. Can you qualify that? I'm curious. Um, I think it's it's like it's culturally as significant when it comes to stuff like art and architecture. Um, history, obviously, much richer and much deeper in in, in France because there's more of it. And I think the people have this sort of like weird sort of swankiness to them and swagger that I think from the outside looking in is always seen as um, condescending, but it's not like there's something wonderful about that. I think they've earned their place in being just a little bit more like, oh, I just, I've got a, I know a little bit more than you do. Now Paris has been there for a little while. Yeah. Just a bit. It's been there for a while. <laughs> but New York is, uh, so long story short, I, uh, what a dumb thing to say at the start of it, like an hour-long show. Long story short. Well, that's okay. You know, it long, it's I I like those little silly cliches of language. <laughs> I, I know I understand the cliches are are, are eye rolling sometimes. I like when we go to familiar things, except yeah. the word basically, which is never okay. Yes, um, I don't like that at all. It means nothing. No. It has it has absolutely no meaning. Uh, but so basically, no. Uh, I get. My, uh, I think I talked about this in the last episode I was on, but my, my mother, uh, grew up in Italy and her family are all, you know, they, they came here on a boat, immigrants. I, I don't remember. I make fun of the fact that she forgot her papers because there's that whole WOP thing without papers. Wow. Do you know, not, you don't know about that? Is that where that comes from? You didn't know that? No. Yeah. That's what it comes from. That's so that derogatory racial term comes from without papers. Yep. I did not know that. It's like a weird racist term because it's like oh you forgot your keys like it's it's like (laughs) gosh that's horrifying it's like it's like having a racist term about a guy who has a shoe untied it's like oh well you got me so so your mom came here and what was she a documented immigrant i believe she was but they screwed up her last name when they got when she got here because that's what they did in ellis island i think they were just like they just hired a guy who just you know like how substitute teachers can never read the kids 
last names. Mm-hmm. I think that's the people they had working at Ellis Island. Okay. So, it's like so, it was just like a, a business full of substitute teachers. <laughs> okay, well, they're like, Jared Pooty. <laughs> and they're like, no. Oh, well, you're Jared Pooty forever now. Jared Pooty. F- I could be yeah. Jared Potty. Yeah. Uh, actually, Petty's pretty terrible, honestly. I mean, Petty's an awful last name. I think it's cute. Petty? Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't like it at all. I, it, well, it's a, it's a not a great word to No, it means like somebody. small, trite, and like conniving. I I leave off the conniving part when I think of you. I yeah? think if you you if you were an asshole, that'd be the worst last name in the world. <laughs> but you're a nice guy, so it works. Uh, I've had to try harder. It's like yeah. pointing to. But your mom's last name was what? Uh, it was uh, Chirillo, which okay. had an O at the end, and they turned it to Chirili, which had an I with the rolling R's and all that. Uh, so they screwed that up. But I think her parents saw uh, something on black and white TV back in the day about how the streets were paved with gold and America is amazing and blah, 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 blah. Were they mice in Russia in the in the early 20th century? Whatever, like, weird old cartoon you can equate to this, I think it were Fievel goes to west. Well, Fievel or... eventually went west. Well, he went west twice. Yes. First, he went he went west from, from Russia, and then he went west again. Well, because if the... the first movie was called Fievel Goes West and he went to New York from, like, from Europe, people yeah. would have been like, what the fuck is this? They'd have been a little confused by That's that. not the west. Going back to Michael Bay movies, it's yep. like when they get on that train to England, England and Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Remember that? That's, yep. that's yep. an extraordinary moment in film. very odd. I've never ridden the train to England. I guess if you're in France, you can do that. Yeah, right? well, you can you can take the, the train anywhere in Europe. Yeah. It's kind of amazing because you have people living in America who don't leave their own town, and you have people living in Europe who are like, bye, I'm going for groceries, and they're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm really, I hate my dad right now. I'm going to go to Amsterdam for the afternoon, Yeah, and I'll come back a few hours later, and it'll be like, where were you today? School. You know, in you can reality, just do that. Sweden. Yeah, yeah Sweden. Yeah, you can yeah, just do that. Okay. So, wow, uh, beautiful. New York, my parents, my mom moved to uh, Jersey City, New Jersey. Okay. Um, which is about 15, 20, 15 minutes outside of New York City by train or car. Is Jersey City the jerseyest of all jerseys? It's pretty Jersey. Yeah? It's pretty fucking Jersey. Okay. It's the kind of thing where, like, I don't know. You picture somebody being like, I'm walking here. And like, there's like, you know, just Italians on every corner and stuff like that. The city's changed a lot. Um, culturally, ethnically has changed a lot. I think it's, it's now a lot more Hispanic and I think a lot more Dominican, hmm. but back in the day, it used to be a lot of sort of European Im- immigrants would come there and stay there. Okay. Um, and this has changed over the course of your lifetime. Yeah. Or before? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, not gotten better or worse. I think it's actually gotten better in terms of people want to live there. It used to be a lot more crime riddled. When I was a kid, it was like a little more dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, But Jersey City was right outside of New York City. And my parents, my mom moved there and my dad lived there for his whole life until he met my mom, who was an immigrant. And they fell in love and they made me. Okay. And two other brothers who are younger than me. So I was the first. You 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 were the first born? I was the first born. I didn't know you were the oldest brother. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's why I'm like, I'm such like an older brother on my shows now i'm on the oh older... this explains so much about you yeah. and scoville oh, uh, oh yeah. of me and max yeah oh like, yeah. I mean, yeah he's completely like max is 100 percent my 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 west coast younger brother yeah like totally i've seen the dynamic but i didn't realize you were the oldest in a family and he was he was an only child growing up so it he totally just leaned into this whole idea of like oh i have an older brother now you know so it's been really cool um yeah i love max but we uh so i want to be the middle child in your family someday. you can totally be thanks that's great I love that. Um, so at a young age, my mom was working in New York City, which was right outside of – you're not great I, coasters. I gotta right? get what this, am I supposed to I do? Gotta that get fell this in your lap. You there did. You well, I'm going to take more clothes off now. <laughs> <laughs> you were my uh, So my mom worked in New York City, yeah. and my dad taught in New York City. Okay. So at 
a very young age, I was going to New York City from Jersey City all the time. Your dad's a teacher? Yeah. What's he teach? Uh, literature, English, language, stuff like that. All those things they tell you not to go to school for? Yeah. Yeah? yeah he's made but, it work. But that are really, like, wonderful and make your life richer? And, yeah, and, he teaches yeah. a lot of, like, he teaches English to a lot of foreign students, which is okay. amazing because English is kind of a pain in the ass like language immigrant children or, or families of immigrants or? um immigrant level college kids oh, so, wow okay yeah. so that people who come to america like in their late so he's teens. a college teacher yeah. oh okay he's wow a college professor. Rad. all right yeah. that's very cool so anyway back to jersey city yeah right? he went to he went to uh he graduated from columbia university and um he was always in and out of new york city i think back in the day people growing up in jersey city because I believe something with the liquor laws that used to drive into New York, get fucking tanked, and then drive back. Which is, back in the day, people would just drive drunk all the time. And I think a million people a year would die, and they were just like, I wonder what's causing this. It's like perhaps, perhaps consuming drugs yeah. before operating large, deadly vehicles. Who would have thought? Okay, so, um, so people would go to New York, drink, and drive yeah. back to Jersey. That's terrifying. So then he went to college in New York City, and uh, my mom taught there, and then my dad ended up teaching there, and then I went to preschool there. So my first schooling ever was at this little school right next to the UN. Apparently, I went with like Brian Gumbel's kid. And okay. a bunch of other weird people that grew up to be something. But so, so you would like ride into town with with your dad and mom every day. Did you guys train in or drive? I would take the train in. Um, seldomly we would drive. We had, I think, we had like a pretty junky car. What's it like riding the train in New York as a kid? It's awesome. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's it's really hard to explain because I mean, Jersey City was a little city, and I, I there you would look at buildings and they would be like two or three stories, four stories, and then as a kid you would just roam into this giant sprawling metropolis yeah. that was impossibly bigger than you and i think i mean i don't think i know for sure that it's what it's what's inspired me to always want to do more and mm -hmm. do bigger and really and, the the scape the scope of the building yeah I, absolutely oh can you can you follow that up a little bit i'd well, love to because, hear about that so my theory is that when you grow up only seeing things that are a certain height, you start to think that the ceiling is only so low as what it is, right? Like you start to think that when when all the buildings are one story and there's a three-story building, you're like, that guy's a millionaire. Mm. But when all the buildings are tall enough to touch airplanes and reach reach the clouds, you start to think that there are way, way bigger things in the world than something that you could ever build or ever imagine. And it instills a level of humility in you that I believe helps tremendously when it comes to creativity. And it's why I think a lot of artists sort of migrate towards ma major cities. I think it's why a lot of musicians do that because there's something impossibly grand about that scope that's inspiring. My father, I, rem I have a very vivid memory of this. Uh, I grew up uh, for a time in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and we visited National Cathedral for the first time, which is actually, in terms of cathedrals, fairly small, uh, but still a, a grandiose and beautiful old building. And I remember as a child looking, I was standing in this vast sanctuary with these spiraling ceilings and the great rose window and the light pouring in, truly just a magnificent uh, craftsmanship and architecture. And my dad said, what do you think about this place? And in my small, and I think in, in a way, small-minded, little kind of conservative, small church kid way, I said, how many people would this building have fed? Yeah. 
And then my dad said something I did not expect him to say. He looked at me and said, Jared, he said, I understand where you're coming from. I was probably like six, seven. He said, but my dad was a minister and he said, do you realize that this building will lead more people to God than I ever will in my life? Right. He said, this place inspires and see that's, and that, that's, yeah. that's it because I think that even if you're listening and you live in a small town or you, you grew up in a small town, whatever it is, you have a church. And I'm not a religious person, but I understand the power of one of those buildings yeah. because the power of that building is 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 God. And to someone, it's the most inspiring, beautiful thing they've ever seen. And in New York, every building is a church hmm. in, in a way, right? I mean, you look up and you just see something that's it's impossibly grand. And it's inspiring. And I think there's something about that. I've always gravitated towards it. And, you know, going into New York City, going to preschool in New York City, like going, having them be like, oh, it's like, it's recess. We're going to go outside and play kickball or whatever you do when you're like five, four. Yeah. And then looking up and seeing like these gigantic buildings and then, you know, the ball would hit you in the side of the head. <laughs> what, when you were a kid, what was your favorite building in New York? Um... I want to say the Chrysler Building or the Empire State, State Building, obviously. Um, the Twin Towers were were probably the most amazing thing I'd ever seen up close. Yeah. Being, being like, it's one thing to be like, to see pictures of those places um, is one thing. To even see them from 20 blocks away is one thing. But to stand at the foot of them and look up until your head hurts, mm. you know, just tilt your head back until your head can't go back anymore and you still haven't seen all of it. Yeah, you can't see the top. It just, it's still it's a thing. I, I was in New York uh, two weeks ago and I looked up and I was like, oh shit, I'm at the foot of the Empire State Building. Yeah. And I woke, I looked up and I took a picture of it. And there's a billion other people taking pictures of it. And I lived in New York for years and it, it shouldn't be surprising to me anymore. But it's still it's still special. So yeah, the I would say probably the Twin Towers are one of those things that... It, it didn't make any sense to me. I was like, why would you make two of the exact same building next to each hmm. other? One of them has like a spike. And one doesn't. And one of yeah. them doesn't. And, you know, then there was a park in between them. And then I was like, people try to like type rope, walk across them. And, you know. That's really. What about, you mentioned all the people standing at the foot of the. So we've talked about architecture. What about the people and the number of people in every place at every time? How did that affect the way you think about the city? You start, it's, it's a really good question. You start to think about people as landscape, as an ever-changing landscape in the same way that um, like leaves on a tree will change. You will look at a forest and go by one year and it'll be packed and another year it won't be. Um, you start to understand people as part of your periphery that just is constantly ebbing and flowing. And you would think that you would never gain any connection to any of them. But I think that in that chaos, you, when you do find friendship or you do find love or you do buy, find companionship with the guy at the corner store or your barber or little things like that, things that do become um, like frequencies that you can actually tune into with regularity, uh, they're all the more special because hmm. for, for all the reason – it's it's like playing an MP like playing video games where you're just like all the NPCs are nothing to me. You play GTA, you just mow them down. They mean nothing <laughs> to you, right? But when you start to see patterns and you start to see the same people in, over and over, and you start to say hello, you give them a little nod or something like that, you know. Um, there's something special about that because you were able to find patterns within chaos, 
and then from that recognition call friendships or companionships or you really are an artist aren't you like yeah the, oh, the way it looks yes absolutely well, <laughs> yeah no i'm the kind of kid that like when i and i said it in the last episode i believe but like when i was bored on a rainy day my mom would be like here draw paint sculpt yeah. she's an architect so she she built she designed buildings for yeah. a living so to I've always had an appreciation for them. And my drawings for the first 15, 20 years of my life were drawings of skylines because wow. I always lived in New Jersey in areas where within five feet or 500 feet, you could walk and see the New York City skyline, always. So that shape, that like jagged cluster of squares and triangles in synchronicity, creating a place where millions of people lived that was just a shape from a distance hmm. became one of the most like appreciable and recognizable things for me. So New York really was something that was always on the horizon always. of your life. Even when you yeah. weren't in it, there yeah. it was omnipresent and great and marvelous. Yeah. And, and even, even in San Francisco, since I still have family there and because, you know, my wife still has family there and I still have friends there and I just love being there so much. I, I feel like I've still had one foot there the entire time I've been here. Which is weird because I, I don't know if that means I'm teabagging middle America, <laughs> but I'm not trying to. I don't mean to. No, I've spent plenty of time in middle America. I've lived in the Midwest and I've lived in the Southeast and they have tremendous uh, appeal and uh, and both have distinct and lovable and flavorful inferiority complexes, yeah. uh, which is part of what makes them great. Yeah. Uh, the Midwest is largely great because of its inferiority complex and the Southeast, which is probably my favorite part of America, uh, which is my, my real home definitely has that, but that, that kind of regional rivalry is part of what makes us a great, huge nation. I think yeah. it's part of what makes us work. Very few countries as geographically large as ours have managed to endure, but the fact that we can all kind of double down on where we're from or where we are at a time and find that kind of emotional connection and pick favorites, whether it be a place as a nation of immigrants that we move to later in life or as a, as a place that we grew up in, it could be we a, find these affiliations. It could be two diametrically opposed streets in your town that are at war with each other. Like mm -hmm. you don't have to have like a lot of people thought that this election came down to, you know, coastal elites versus people in flyover states. I think that's a horribly reductive way of looking at it. I mean, I think that's just people need to communicate better in general across everything. And it's hard to do that when you don't, you know, we had, there were towns a town over that you're like, fuck those guys. Mm -hmm. When I moved to California and I found out about Sonoma and Napa, as two places. <laughs> I mean, as a guy from the East Coast, like, hey, I want to drink some wine this weekend in the sun. Okay, yeah. I'll go to either one. I don't give a shit. And you'd get there and they'd be like, they they stepped on their grape strange. No, they didn't. It's the same to me. Have you heard about, have I told you about my Sonoma Napa like mental fanfic that Angie and I have been working no. on? Oh, no. We're, we're, we want to make a, a soap opera about the quarterback of the Napa Valley High School football team. Yep. Who's, his name's Rich Tannins. And uh, and Rich Tannins, and, yeah, and we want Rich Tannins and his high school football team, and their our travel Sonoma. We want to make a, a, a radio drama out of this someday, uh, but never been. Done. I love. Is he going to fall in love with the the lady in the other? Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay, he has yeah, to totally because yeah. But yeah, the idea that those two places are at war is the I, the idea of a of of a wine country war. Yeah, is it's first off, it's like the best like Disney live action movie ever, like That's, Apple Dumpling like Gang that type Dr. thing. Dr. Seuss but... butter battle bullshit. <laughs> it's like the fuck are you fighting over. <laughs> 
No, it's like I'm <laughs> back to New York. Back to New uh, York. What? Uh, let's let's run with. But that. New York does this too, with like Brooklyn, Manhattan, yes. the Bronx. Everyone's just like, oh, we don't go there. Like, if you got invited, I I was dating a girl in Brooklyn, who uh, I broke up with her because it was too far. <laughs> it's like I can't. Just she like, was, I can't, I she can't. was gorgeous, and it was just awesome. She was an amazing woman. The trains run to Brooklyn. Yeah, but it's hard, you know, because it's. There, I, I live in San Francisco now. There are neighborhoods that people don't go to because they're like, nah, I'm not going to go there. That's uh-huh. not my neighborhood. Microclimates. Yeah. It, you know? it, uh, the, the microclimate, good Lord, that whole thing. Yeah, San Francisco might as well be a series of like 40 like feuding fiefdoms yep. like in, in medieval France. Yep. I mean, it's, yeah. it's that bad. But in New York, uh, you mentioned Brooklyn. I mean, so Brooklyn didn't even want to be part of New York, right? They no. were forced into it. Yeah. They were an independent city. Yeah, and now they're more New York. They're so New York, they'll never be able to go back. So tell us about – how about this? For people that aren't familiar with New York, because I – as you know, I love New York. I haven't spent much time there. Yeah. Um, tell everybody about the main sections of New York very quickly. Summarize what makes each what it is. So you've got you've got Queens, you've got the Bronx, you've got Manhattan, you've got Brooklyn, and you've got Staten Island. Okay. Staten and- Island is the one I've spent the least amount of my time in, which is odd because I'm a huge Wu Tang fan. Um, <laughs> but Manhattan is where I spent most of my days uh, because it's just the epicenter of the city and you can find stuff everywhere else. It gets yeah. a little more quiet and a little more suburban the more you get out of there. But I had New Jersey, which is sort of this weird sixth borough. Yeah. Right. Like, it's, it's almost part of the city. And again, back to like feuding between neighbors. Yeah. I mean, no one hates, they, they call you a bridge and tunnel kid when you come in from New Jersey to hang out in New York and go to shows and stuff like that. So, so you, you love metaphors. If you're going to create a, a famous person metaphor, if the personality of each of these places is a person we've mm-hmm. heard of, who are they? Who's Manhattan? Um, man, I'd want to say that they're, I'd have to say that they're all rappers. Like, all of them are rappers. Yeah. Okay. So who's Manhattan? But that's so, that's too easy. I mean, sorry, right. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. God, Manhattan's probably, and I know I know Jay Z is from Brooklyn. Yeah. But Manhattan is probably Jay Z. Manhattan is Jay Z because if you listen to his music, there's this huge swagger to it. There's this big sort of like pompous beat to it but there's an intellectualism uh to to go with the swagger that i think makes sense and then there's just like this fight to be king right like um you look at queens you have nas uh it's 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 dirtier it's grittier but it's smart as fuck and it's slick and it knows what it's doing uh you look at brooklyn you have the beastie boys there it's laid back it's about craft brews it's fun um it's kind of falling apart but they're making the best of it you know there's a good sense of humor to it What's left? Staten Island is definitely Wu-Tang. They're ignored. They're pushed in the shadows, uh, but they're fucking hungry, and they're devastatingly good at what they need to do. Who's left? Let's say uh, the Bronx. The Bronx. And New Jersey. Okay. So first the Bronx, and then New Jersey. So the Bronx, I would have to say uh, KRS-One, who's like one of the smartest rappers of all time. Um, It's kind of old and wise, and you have this guy who, who thinks that he knows everything about the universe. Maybe not doesn't but he's resourceful enough to make it work this is a guy that was plugging his boombox into the street lights in the 80s and 70s to put on rap concerts in the park before rap had a word that described what it was wow um and i grew up around that right i I grew up around like listening to hip-hop records uh i think that public enemies uh i believe it was it takes a nation uh was the first cd i ever bought Mm -hmm. that and bell biv devoe's poison which is a much much worse album that a lot of people still love. That girl is poison. You've heard that song. <laughs> I have. It's not a good song. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so 
So being a, like a Jersey kid, I grew up on the outside looking in in New York City and appreciating the shit out of this and then finding any excuse I possibly could to go in. I would go in for concerts all the yeah. time. I would go into art museums with my mom. My mom took me to art museums every time there was a rainy day. She'd be like, let's, let's go to New York. Let's go to the Guggenheim. Let's go to the Met. Let's go to the MoMA. Okay. So I, um, I grew up not only staring at impossibly tall buildings, but staring at impossibly tall paintings and just being wow. – my mom – said that like on my feistiest days the days where i wouldn't shut up or stop crying or complaining which i've never technically stopped doing she would take me to the moma or or the met and i would stand there and i would look at paintings and it would calm yeah. me and i would just look up and be like oh my god what is what is the what is your favorite place to stand and look at art like it, what corner what painting what what exhibit in in all the world and all the city of new york what's the place that brings you the most joy to stand what's the place you think about going to when you go back to the city oh my that's i have such an easy answer to that it's the um it's the big whale room in the museum of natural history okay let's hear about the big whale room so the museum of natural history has and again the it's just, it's so hard to explain to people but the idea of something that's so much larger than you can possibly understand is is encapsulated so well in this museum because it is not only gigantic and sprawling and you will get lost in it and you will go on a field trip and two of you might not come back. <laughs> <laughs> they were but, eaten by wolves in the Paleolithic exhibit. Yeah, yeah. But this also has a history to it where you're like, when I go outside, there's big, big, bigger buildings than I could ever understand. There's a million cars. There's a million people. But in here, there's an elephant. There's dinosaurs. Have We're you been to the Museum of Natural History? Not in New York. No, no, okay. no, no. So the one in New York City is, again, impossibly large. There, the, the areas are segmented by um, sort of place of origin. And mm -hmm. it's all gigantic, massive taxidermied animals. And then you turn the corner and there's um, sculptures that primitive civilizations made. There was okay. Lucy, which was the first sort of like missing link between is that where lucy is L lucy was there for a while okay. I, I don't know if they moved lucy around if okay. lucy's on tour but um there was one room about oceanography that was again impossibly large the kind of thing where you could hear like the squeak of somebody's shoe from a half a mile away i love rooms right like that. and it's just so quiet and there's like the air is kind of still but it's cold and there's a history to it and there's dust and there's something just magical about it um they made a movie relic which takes oh, place yeah. in the museum of natural history in manhattan Man, that movie sucks it's a bad movie yeah but i love it because it takes place there exactly oh so, no the, the same thing with uh i don't like night of the museum but it happens at the yeah. field museum and therefore i'll, I'll Isn't watch that cool? it yeah so uh the oceanography room in, in the museum of natural history has this whale in it that's i believe a life-size whale or the the world's biggest life says it's not a real a real whale, but but, it's, but who's gonna who's gonna tell you it's not? I yeah. mean, are you gonna go diving and figure out the whale slightly too small? Yeah. you know exactly. Now so. this thing is, it's the size of the football field in your high school. What's right? it made of? I, like plastic and styrofoam, or it looks heavy though, but it looks real. Like it looks like it's made of clay and. So it looks like a real whale, but yeah. it's not like a stuffed whale. It's not no. like some a taxidermed whale or anything. And it's not like a sad dead whale on the beach. It's like a whale that's just like I just fucked, and it's just like <laughs> it's soaring. It's great. It's huge. Again, impossibly long, and uh, this room is amazing because you walk around it, and it's all different moments in you know in 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 our world based on real animals real animals are in there and there's there's in one corner there's uh there's a like a walrus covered in blood that he just destroyed like a seal 
and you're like, oh fuck, they put that there. That's yeah. awful. There's like these two like Eskimos that are like hunting like a, a penguin or something. I don't know. I uh, yeah, I think you got your poles mixed up there. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, I'm yeah, bad at yeah, yeah. I'm really bad at history for somebody that yeah, loves like, it, it, Inuits are polar bears, but and yeah. and, and then uh, 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 penguins are South yeah. Pole. So yeah. they're fight they're there's fighting something. But the, my favorite part of this room, and this terrifies me to this day, in the very back corner of it, there is this like I don't know if this is real or this is like something they made up in literature that they put in this thing. But there's this really all these things are well lit. All these little they're sort of window boxes, right? Mm -hmm. It's like little dioramas made by incredibly talented artists and weird taxidermists who just grabbed the bear and you know grabbed his mouth open and he's like ah oh, he's about to kill something but in the corner there's this squid that's like a hundred feet long and he's attacking i believe like a boat or a submarine Whoa. and they didn't turn the lights on for that or if they did it's really dim so you're thinking this is like a mile beneath the earth in the sea and this is just happening to this ship or this boat this submarine and you're like, that's out there. That's a real thing. And being a kid walking up to this thing is terrifying because you're like, that's real. That's real. Like, how can I fight with my friend over what's better, like Ghostbusters or Mighty Max, when there's that fucking there's thing? There's a giant squid that's yeah. going to eat me beneath the it's surface. It's going to eat me. And there's a giant whale that's the size of a football field, and you can hear the squeak of the echoes yep. of the thing across the... Yeah, okay, this... Yeah, it's now, a, the kind of room that's created to instill wonder. Yeah. And the Museum of Natural History is... is, is uh, it's. It's like a Radiohead album. It's pay what you want. <laughs> you can get in for a dollar or seventeen dollars. Much like Misanthrope by Brian. That's Altano. true. My album as well. Um, <laughs> there's no giant whales in that album, but um, there should be. And I took Max Scoville there last year. I took my wife there the year before. They redid the whale room recently. So both it, of your two loves. Yeah, have been my there. two loves. <laughs> and they made it much brighter in there uh, and much more warm. But they. The huge whale is still there. The yeah. big squid is still there. All of the things are still there. It's just a little brighter. There's a couple of like iPads in there. You are can are, with are you sad that it's a little brighter? Well, yeah, I think so. I think yeah. a little bit. I think mm -hmm. kids should be scared in museums a little bit. I, I think that fear and wonder, especially in nature, yeah. like especially in natural museums, uh, that, that's extraordinary. That that idea that, that you could that something scary makes it more mm -hmm. interesting. No, I'm totally about that. Because yeah. you, should, you should be scared of giant squids. You should be. I mean, you should be fascinated by them. It's kind of like people are with sharks. They're like sharks are wonderful and they're an important part of our ecosystem and no one should hunt them for, for, for nefarious purposes or exploit them. All absolutely true. I, but you should totally also be scared of them because they're giant eating machines. I think, and I don't want to veer too political, but I think that even no matter who you voted for, who you believe in politically, what you thought of our last president, what you think of our next president i think the major fundamental difference between the two of them is that i think obama is the kind of person that would start a sentence with i wonder and i think those words what wonder the idea of wonder is one of the most important things in the world instead of being like i know no you don't no one does wonder is amazing and to be a child in a museum to be a child in a major city looking up and having wonder instead of being like i figured it all out that is the inspiration for some of the greatest invention in the world, some of the greatest thoughts in the world, some of the most positive and optimistic ideas in the world. Wonder tends to inspire new things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, I, I want to kiss you right now for you, talking you about wonder. That. I know. I just want to. I'm taking my clothes off. I want to kiss. I, I'm telling you this. Is a, not, the you, are, you are kind of dressed like my favorite whale. <laughs> there we go. I'm sure. Let's my car. That's not whales, really. What is that? A, I don't. I just called it like Eskimos Inuits. So what the fuck do I know? I, no, well, I, I, that, that's a whole other can of worms. Also, they uh, totally weren't fighting a penguin. That would have been horrible. That would have been a, no, that's really bad. They don't. They don't do that. 
chicken of the sea. Um, I love these conversations with you because they just they just all, I, I, they well, go I like the randomness. I I hope I'm you know anytime I'm hosting uh, this, I like to I like to have some idea where we're going. But I found more and more uh, that it's just so wonderful. People always have things inside them that you don't know are there. I didn't yeah. know this about you. I knew you loved wonder. I knew you were an artist, but I didn't know that you looked at the landscape of New York City as a sense of inspirational scale. And I didn't know that you had a giant whale rune that, that taught you a lesson about the power of yeah. wonder. No, and totally. That's, that's what makes... Uh, so sometimes, like I said, I wonder, man. That's a, that's so, a great place to go. But So after a few years of like going to school in New York City yeah. as a kid and then going there with my parents, uh, my parents do what a lot of city people did, and they up and moved to the suburbs. And then we moved to a small town in northern New Jersey, again, just far enough from the city that you could see it, just far enough from the city that you could get a train to it. And we went there enough. But the idea of it's, – it's when I first started to say I'm bored because it got quiet. And when I walked outside, I couldn't walk anywhere except for like to a highway. Okay. And I love the idea. Even in Jersey City where my grandparents still live to this day, you can just walk outside of their apartment and you're in a city. And you're walking around. On the corner of their street was a pizza place with a Donkey Kong arcade cabinet where I played my first video game. And next to that, I don't know why, was a taxidermy shop. And next to that was a laundromat. So sometimes with my dad, we would go drop off our clothes to get cleaned. And while we were waiting, we would get a slice of pizza, play Donkey Kong, and then walk next door and look at terrifying animal heads. Did they have a zookeeper machine in the in the taxidermy shop? No, they did not. Oh, okay. That would have so, been great. Though. Yeah, they could have like thematically. I don't think they wanted kids in there. Games. I think they wanted to scare people. Yeah, well, I, taxidermy accomplishes that. That's I a, think it's weird that how much of this is centered around taxidermy, but there's a major difference between seeing taxidermy in a museum and seeing it in a guy's. Store. Oh no, when it's sitting there staring you in the face. Yeah, I mean, I, it's an incredible art, but it yeah. frightens. Uh, there's a wonderful running gag in the Lost Boys. I just love where, where the grandpa keeps bringing taxidermy to animals. Yeah, and then leaving them in people's rooms. Isn't that it's, weird? It's fantastic. It's so weird. So you moved. You moved away, and you decided. Uh, yeah. But, to go back, it sounds like, when you became well, a grown-up. So what happened was I uh, I was always great. I was good at school, but I didn't try. Okay. Like, I was a smart, slick kid, the newest shit. But I, I, something, I, it's like I figured out very early on that it was like, this is a lot of this is bullshit. Okay. And it kind of fucked me up because I got bad grades until uh, I was in the middle of high school I got pulled out of a French class that was failing by my guidance counselor. And he was like, what are you doing in that class? And I was like, I'm basically failing this class. And he's like, what if we put you in a bunch of art classes? I was like, sure. I always grew up with art. I love art. My mom's an artist. Um, Let's do it. So they put me in a bunch of art classes, which got me back on the school bus, going to field trips, back to New York City, back to the Guggenheim, back to the, you know, to the Met and the MoMA. Um, I developed this massive appreciation for creativity once again. Yeah. I was making music at the at the time, like kind of toiling away at like beats on like this. I had this shitty little thing called the SP two hundred two. It was like this little box uh, that you could sort of like hammer out drum patterns on and stuff like that. Well, it was like a drum machine, sequ- like a sequencer. Yeah, or... but okay. terrible. Okay, like just the worst. I'm just imagining you with like a tiny Yamaha guitar, like one of the little programmable ones. I never got ones. a guitar. I, okay. I did have a guitar. Or a okay. guitar. <laughs> a guitar. All right. Uh, and then I had turntables and I used to DJ on. And between like music and DJing and hip hop and concerts and art museums and creativity and passion and 
pizza. I was constantly gravitating back towards New York City. I would go there on the weekends with my yeah. friends. I would go there to buy weed with my friends. I did would you go... DJ clubs in, in, in New York? Like, Eventually, I, d- I ended up DJing a few and realized it wasn't really my thing. Okay. In, the same, in the same way, like, stand-up comedy is not really my thing. Uh-huh. Like, be, but I love comedy. Yeah, you promised me uh, almost three years ago you were going to do a stand-up act. You've, you've you know never, what happened? I did it. a bunch of, like, IGN Live stuff, and I was like, I don't really know if I want to get up and just, like, recite a bunch of shit that I – like I, 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 this is so much. I love this so much more. Yeah. This, this is like this is jazz, and I love okay. this so much more. You like noodling around. Yeah, yeah. You and me both brought instruments today, and they're gonna play it. Did you do improv? It's basically. Like, I mean, that's basically what the comedy. I know. Yeah, that's kind of what comedy button yeah. is. I wondered if you ever did like on stage improv theater. Um, you might be a good fit for I mean, it. Yeah, probably. I, I would probably be awesome at it. Yeah. Like honestly, it's it sucks that we live in a day and age now where you can't be like, I would be good at that without people people being like, you're cocky. Uh, um, no, I, I think, no, I think so, that's very you. Sorry, I didn't mean to. So you you were going into the city for all these things, and yep. you eventually ended up going to school there. And then so I then uh, it came time for college, and I was like, I want to go for art. And yeah. for art, I had a couple of choices. I had RISD, which is Rhode Island School of Design, which is in Providence, Rhode Island, which okay. is. Uh, a, you know, a cute but false approximation of what an actual city is. Yeah, the only thing I know about Providence is that it's mentioned in The Departed briefly. Um. Prov- Rhode Island in general, <laughs> yeah. Rhode Island has the same, like, day-night cycle as Castlevania, too. Where... <laughs> no, really. What a horrible night to have occurred. Dude, seriously. <laughs> There's a reason Eternal Darkness takes place there. <laughs> sorry. No, seriously. Like, it's... That is a beach town, <laughs> and in the winter, at night... It is like it's 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 cold and scary. Yeah, I'm just gonna imagine. I'm just imagining you standing on the Atlantic coast, kneeling next to a cliff yep. with a crystal, and being swept away by a whirlwind. That's hundred percent it. That is. Com- com- so you know where to find the graveyard duck. That's exactly just- what it is. No, it's exactly what. Like okay. you can walk to the cliffs in in Rhode Island and just be like. Oh God, this is a great place to die. I I think I want to live here. Like what? That a sounds cold... amazing. Yeah, I'm, I guess it's the... just I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that sounds like an it's incredible. It's perfectly place. fine, but okay, I would but never. But you decided you didn't want to live so in Castlevania. Too I started village. I started applying to schools in New York City, and I got into all of them, much to the chagrin of my awful piece of shit guidance counselor, who was like, "You'll never get into any college." Oh, it's not I, good to have an educator rooting against you. That's that's a sad no, life. not at all. Yeah, that's that's not your job, guys. Like a lot of people have vengeance against their parents when they grow up and become successful. Yeah. I have this tiny part of me every time something amazing happens. It's like, yeah, fuck you to that guy. Do you ever send him Christmas cards? No, I think he's dead. Oh well, okay. That Ooh, I think work. I think I won. Ye- <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't kill him. He was killed by time. Like. <laughs> As all things are. Yeah, as all things are. Much like Golem's Riddle with uh, Bilbo in uh, The Hobbit. You're losing me. Yeah, that's (laughs) It's one of the riddles in the riddle battle. Isn't it Gollum? What, Gollum? Yeah. You say it different every time. Gollum. (laughs) I don't know. Now I'm uncertain. I think think it's Gollum? Gollum? You're like a fake Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, No, I'm a real Lord of the Rings fan. I'm just kidding. You know what? We're going to sit down. We're going to talk about the epic of Hurin. Okay, because I'm not at all, so you don't have to make up words to impress me. All right, so there we are. No, um, but all that said, I don't know how to say Gollum's name right. So eventually I got into School of Visual Arts, which is on uh, 23rd and 3rd in the middle of Manhattan, just the fucking center. You can walk to the Flatiron. I had to walk past the Flatiron building on my way to work every single day, uh, which if you played Spider-Man 2 or GTA, you know exactly what that is. It's a big, long triangle, tall triangle thing about what I, year is this uh this was 1999 okay. so i spent my high school years going into manhattan all the time uh 
and then I spent college in New York City. So I moved there. Um, I moved into a tiny, tiny, tiny one-bedroom apartment, like, tiny, like your your bathroom, tiny. Okay. Like picture the smallest room in the world. It was that room. Okay. Like when all these stories came out in the last few years about micro apartments that are like a hundred square feet, and the guy's like, "I make it work," and like his table turns into his oven or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You were living in this. Just, I was living and in I, that. You were living in IKEA, like like demo. Yeah. Area. Yeah, but with no money because I was okay. a broke college kid and I was inhaling paint fumes because I went for fine art. So I was constantly painting in your tiny room, in my tiny room. Oh, and lovely. The thing about fine art is that uh, your classes are six to nine hours long, mm-hmm. huge, long studio classes. It's basically boot camp to root to weed people out. Right. A lot like gross anatomy in med school or bloodborne. OK. Right. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> you think in metaphors, I, I we've talked about this before. You think in metaphors in a way that very few people I've ever met do. I think it helps people understand things. Yeah, you're you're almost shamanistic. Like you, you, there's my wife hates it because I'll start a sentence where I'm like, it's kind of like, and she's like, I know what it's like. Stop. You would if ha- had you grown up in a religious tradition, I'm convinced you would have been like like one of the great preachers of your generation. Uh, you you think in metaphors better than almost. Anybody. I'm more of an Aesop's fable guy. Well, that's the same kind of idea, really. I do when love you're doing, I when love you're doing it right. It's it's like that. It's yeah. Fucking weird animal story. Uh, <laughs> weird animal stories are wonderful. I was watching a community rerun the other day, and they're like, I was at the animal hospital and like donald glover's like <gasps> and he's like the animals are the patients and he's just like oh like yep. like i said he's thinking you know a hospital full of animals running the place it yeah. would be amazing animals I and lab coats i can love that yeah and animals are great but back yep. to inhaling paint fumes which is probably what led us here so now yeah definitely <laughs> so now i'm in new york city and i'm broke and i'm walking around and i'm I'm in love. I yeah. fucking love it. I love every second of it. I love that weird thing. And you can, if you've, if you've ever li- been lived in or been to a major city and you played a GTA game, that thing that happens when you get caught by the cops and they start you at a random police station and the camera pans around and you're like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm here. Yeah. That recentering of your universe happened to me all the time in the first year where I would just wander. I would just get up and like, yeah. what do you want to do today? I will just walk. And it's harder to do in San Francisco because it's seven miles by seven miles and it's full of hills, which most adults hate, such yeah. as me. And uh, to be fair, it's not like uh, when people talked about the hills in San Francisco, I, I used to be like, well, what's the big deal? Right. But no, they're not. They're not hills. Mm-mm. They're 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 like Lovecraftian angles that yeah. that architecture shouldn't be able to exist at. You can't build a sidewalk like this. But they found a way here. You shouldn't. There's there's no reason to build a sidewalk at that angle. I remember but when you I do. when I first moved it's here, really someone unreal. told me about walking backwards on your heels or uh-huh. walking upwards backwards or something. They're like, yeah. oh, if you ever get stuck on one of those hills, you gotta. And I'm like, that means you made it too fucking big of a hill. Yeah, it's unreal. Like if you have to, if you have to change walking. Yeah, you fucked up on your head. I've never seen a place in the world, even Japan, where where they tend to build in the valleys and there's these really sheer yep. cliffs. They're smart enough not to build on the really sheer cliffs. Of course, San Francisco is just like, no, we're just gonna. Build a magical vertical yeah. Jetson city on like, top of on top of fault lines and yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. It really is in a way kind of the Jetson town. But you're in New York and you're wandering everywhere. You're seeing everything. Yeah, you're just it was just the act of discovery. I, do you remember a great discovery? Something oh God, you, it'll never go away. It happens yeah. to this day when I go there. Like yeah. I'm never bored of that city because just as you think you figured it all out, you'll go back to where you started and all the stores will have changed or a bunch of shops will have changed or the, the storefronts will have changed or a new, there's constantly cranes in construction. There's a building that's gigantic that you've never seen before. will just pop up one day. Um, they're constantly building. They're constantly evolving. Architecture is magnificent there. Like, What's the most New York thing you've ever seen? 
I mean, besides like Pizza Rat. <laughs> is, is that the most New York thing you've Pizza ever seen? Pizza Rat's probably the most New York thing anyone's ever seen. So after all this talk of grandioseness and the inspiring power, the architecture, the crowds of people that become a sort of a seasonal landscape, yeah. the, the ability to wander. To, why? What? What does Pizza Rat have to do with the rest of that? Because that is – the dream is when you look up. The reality is the Pizza Rat. <laughs> right? Like the what you attain to is above you, but street level is a rat and a slice of pizza. And that's most days all you can afford. And most days that's all I could afford, right? I think the most New York thing I've ever seen was a guy with a Santa Claus hat flicking a cigarette into a saxophone. <laughs> that's – I'm not kidding you. Like, this guy was playing a saxophone terribly. Another guy with a Santa Claus hat who should be like, <laughs> you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, flicked a cigarette directly into a, yeah, saxophone, into a saxophone, which made one of the coolest noises I've ever heard. But that's about that's about the most New York thing I've that's ever seen. That's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. You mentioned Pizza Rat. My first day in New York, I ate pizza and I saw a rat. Yeah. So I guess... It's it. It's I, it. I guess that that's that's pretty... That's lovely. That, the saxophone thing's incredible. Pizza is not I'd just... love to see you draw that. Like the oh, yeah. cigarette going into the saxophone, that'd be a great painting. Pizza is not just a thing that uh, New York is fantastic at because of the water that has chemicals in it and makes the best dough, or because angry Italians uh, have come across the world to come, you know, beat up cans of sauce until they're delicious. Um, it's not the ingredients, it's not the love, it's not the air. It's the fact that when you have nothing, when you have no money, mm -hmm. there's pizza. Okay, and I think. When you're in college and you have nothing, there's ramen noodles. But when you live in New York and you have nothing, there is pizza. There's a dollar pizza shop. And it's not the best, but it's better than what you would get normally in California. Um, I lived off pizza as a broke college kid for a long time. And there's just something special about it. You're lucky that you're eating you know, street food in the city that makes the best version of it possibly in the world outside it's, of Italy. I was shocked by how good it was, yeah. and I was shocked by how cheap it was. Yep. I, I, food in general in New York was much less expensive than I expected. Well, it's, uh, I think there's, um, it scales better there, right? Like you can ha There's a poor middle and upper class in New York City that you don't get in something like L.A. or San Francisco where I feel like there's, there's the middle is getting cut out of these oh, yeah. cities. And in New York, you can still spend seven bucks, six bucks, five bucks, on lunch. Yeah. I, I I was there. My first time in New York wasn't until 2014. It was mm -hmm. autumn. It was beautiful. I was there with McCaffrey. Um, and he's just like, pick a place. He just said, point. Yeah. To a pizza place. Yep. He said, I'm going to show you something. He pointed, walked over. He said, okay, there's an oven in the back. We're good. Yep. And out came a steamy slice of some of the most solid pizza I've ever had. Just fantastic, delicious, succulent, greasy, but still consistent without being drippy, wonderful pizza. It was two bucks. Isn't it insane? And I was just like, what is this? I'm what like, is this I, magic? I don't get it. In their bagels, it's just like another thing where you're just like, yeah. and that's why I kind of like dragged a lot of anger to California because when I first got here and I went out for a night drinking and went for a slice of pizza afterwards, I was like, what the fuck is no, this? No, you come to California, you come to to California for the avocado, yep. and you come to California for a lot of other wonderful things. Burritos are great. Burritos are great. The sushi is much better here yep. than a lot of the rest yep. of the country. Um, but there are good pizza places in San Francisco. Yeah, it, I took found me, them. it took me but, a long time to find that if you, if you stop going for the New York slices, yeah, um, anything that says like New York style, get fucked. Because nothing in New York says California style. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing does. Not the California Pizza Kitchen. Yeah, like get get the fuck out of here. They don't even eat that here. Like, no, that's no. that's just made up. That's, yeah, that's don't, like, don't believe any. That's yeah, don't. like cartoon airport food. That is it's nonsense. I, I like that. It's not just an airport. It's cartoon. Airport. It's cartoon that's, airport food. Uh, 
but yeah, so I mean, you, you just you gain a connection to the city, to the people, um, finding the patterns between the chaos to the fact that like the street food's delicious, um, and you're just there, and there's a camaraderie to it, and the, and then it just becomes very very special to you. And from the outside looking in to now be part of it um, was really really special for me to make to be making art in New York City. Yeah. It must have been um, extraordinary. It was it was incredible because I was actually I was too broke to buy canvases, but um, I painted on a lot of found objects, which means people would throw out a door or a grate or like a thing, a piece of wood, and I would go home and I would paint on it and I would drag those things to class. Yeah. So under each arm on windy cold days with a snow hat on, and I had like a scruffier beard and a hoodie, a big Carhartt jacket, I would have two arms full of paintings. Fake street found carrying canvases, a door, carrying a door to school that had a painting on it, and I would put it up in front of the whole room, and it would get criticized. And they would, some people would love it, some people would hate it. Um, you would just put yourself out there, wow. and that was a cool thing. Was about like living in a city, making art was being able to take my part of it that was inspired by my surroundings, and to put it now in front of other people who were also inspired by their surroundings. You're back to I wonder. Right. You have to put it right. up in front of them. I wonder what they'll think. I think it's, it's, I mean, if you look at what I do now in terms of like comment culture and putting shit out on the internet yeah. for people to tear apart, I'm like, no one's going to ever say anything as mean to me as like a teacher would say to me about the door I carried to class on a five degree day. You know, like, <laughs> you'll never, you'll never get me like that. Like if that lady tore me apart and my hands couldn't move because they were so cold, you know, and I only had $2 in my bank account. I'm going to take a risky tangent here because I, I, I don't know your background with this. But when I think about New York, I think about a few things. I think about the architecture. I think about the people. I think about the history because yep. I love history. Um, but something else I think about besides pizza and rats, um, I think about baseball. Yeah. So you're not a sports ball guy, uh, at least not in the discussions you and I have had. But New York is the city that gave us the Yankees, yep. the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Mets. Yeah. Uh, it is, and the Rangers. Uh, yeah, yeah. It is America. Exactly. And the it, Knicks. It, yeah, it, yeah. It is America's baseball city. And then it's a great sports city for all sports. Um, Actually, so I, I like secretly fucking love baseball. I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. I love it. I don't, I, I don't wonder. watch, I don't watch any sports actively anymore. Cause it's just like, to me, it's too much of a time sink. Uh -huh. It's just sort of like, they, I think they play like, uh, 200,000 baseball games a year. They do. Yeah. So, um, and they're like somewhere between three and 40 hours each. Mm -hmm. So that's most of your adult life gone. Yeah. Um, like but 162 games a year yeah. per team. I mean, come on. That's, that's I lived thing. in, I believe I lived in New York twice when the, when the Yankees won the world series, mm -hmm. which was just fucking incredible. Okay. It was. So you cared. Oh you, yeah. 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 What was it about it? Was it as osmotic? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, there's just the entire, it's a city full of cranky, miserable people are happy together for some reason. Like camaraderie is huge in New York city. And if you can get everybody together on the same page on something, that's a special thing. Um, especially cause you have so many different opposing views there. Um, but to get everybody happy about one thing is really fucking amazing. So that's why, that's why New York City had hip-hop anthems. It's why every summer there was one song that came out of New York that was the song that the world was like, that's New York shit right there. Hmm. It's why when, when Atlanta started getting really good at hip-hop, there was a lot of resentment from New York because New York was like, that's our thing. Mm -hmm. Don't fucking take our thing. So it's why Madison Square Garden brings people together, the idea of like uh, going to a concert there. It's why, uh, you know, like the Empire State Building, the fucking, like, 
Broadway, even stupid ass Times Square, uh, the Yankees, shit like that is just like that's a thing that people from all over the world can appreciate. And New York is made of immigrants from people all over the world. That's what mm. people forget about that. It's like no one just started in New York. No one started anywhere, really. No one you know has started anywhere. <laughs> They've all come from somewhere else. So the uh, people coming together for that was a huge thing. And the Yankees, you know, they they have a great history. They have a great lineage with you know, mm. guys like Mickey Mantle, with guys like um, fucking Babe Ruth. Like you look even in the in the ni- in the eighties and nineties, like they had great players. But um, you know, guys like Derek Jeter and yeah. and the rest of them, like it was just really fucking cool to be around when they were playing. And, so it is the unification of it. It's yes. another manifestation yeah. of that. So we, I've danced around it a lot, but this this whole discussion started with the discussion you and I had in yeah. the office. And I think this talk about camaraderie probably is the place to go to it. You've mentioned architecture. You've mentioned camaraderie. For somebody who lived in New York City that moved there in 1999, that means you were there in 2001. I suspect. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't suspect. I know. For somebody that was there in 1999, you were there in 2001. Mm-hmm. You were living in Manhattan. I was living in New York City in Manhattan on 9-11. Yeah. And, and uh, if you don't mind, I I just like you to tell the story you told me. Sure. <laughs> um, it's it's a it's a weird story to tell because it's I th- I think that. We are, it's, it's very, September 11th is such a weird thing because we're so far, we're just far removed from it nowadays that you will, you will have coworkers who don't remember it, you know, like I have coworkers that don't remember it, uh, because they were too young, you know, it's, it's been 15, it'll be 16 years this year. How Uh, did we get that old? Right. Isn't that crazy? Um, and I guess I was, I was 20 years old when this happened and uh, I was living in New York city. I had moved out of my dorms. I was living on 27th and third and on 27th and third, I had a small one and a half bedroom apartment with a roommate and I could go up to my roof and I could see the twin towers from my roof. Was getting on the roof like a common thing? Um, then it was Yeah. <laughs> pre nine 11. It was, yeah. um, people used to go up to the roof all the time. You would drink, drink beers up there, hang out. You'd have milk crates you'd sit on. You'd smoke cigarettes, just kind of kick it. You could jump to other roofs from there. Um, again, there was always a bigger roof than yours, so you'd see people up above you. Sometimes they'd throw batteries down at you and stuff like that. I had a halfway house across the street from me. Um, they didn't really like anybody because they were angry and poor, and I don't blame them. because They, they hurled c- batteries at you? They would just throw shit out their windows because they were like fucking teenage. Like They were just inner city teenage kids living up there and they would cause trouble, which is the same thing I did in suburbia. I just didn't have a tall enough building. (laughs) That's lucid. Yeah. Um, Thank you for saying that. Sure. So uh, I was living in New York city and I could go up to my roof and standing on my roof facing downtown, I could see the twin towers and to my right, I could see the empire state building and behind me was central park. And that was, my view that was my life and i had a dog named guru uh did you name the dog i did yeah why did you name the dog Guru? he seemed wise and also there was a rap group called gangstar uh composed of dj premier who makes some of the most new york city beats ever made uh he made new york state of mine he made a bunch of other shit for he worked for jay-z Nas, a bunch of other everybody else for years um and he had a rapper in his group called guru 
Okay. Guru had this very like slick sort of like knowledgeable swagger to him, but he was also kind of lovable. And uh, I named my dog after him. And because it's just a cool, a cool name for a dog. It's he a seemed, fun name for a dog. He was half Chow Chow, half German Shepherd, and he turned out to be not nearly as wise as the name. But I love them even more for that. Gangstar sounds kind of like a Kansas City arcade game distributor. It from does, like the right? Early '80s, yeah. It like, doesn't sound like, like doesn't it, or like an old like uh, NES game company or yeah, something like exactly. That? Yeah. It, it sounds kind of fantastic. We should we should we should start uh, we should start Gangstar Records someday. Uh, I, guess I think someday. I think they did. <laughs> okay, is that what it's called? Yeah, Guru, my dog, passed away a few years ago, and oddly enough, I believe Guru, the rapper, passed away within a year or two of my dog passing away, which is just weird weird universe shit but um so you could get on your roof yeah so i could get on my roof i would bring my dog up there i'd walk my dog around manhattan all the time and um 9-11 happened uh on the 11th of september obviously but what that means for people who know what september means uh means it was the start of the school year for thousands of people yeah so i was starting my uh I guess my third year of college by then, second mm-hmm. or third year of college by then, and I was living in my own apartment building, and uh, a bunch of people were coming to New York City to go to art school and other colleges for the very first time. And these are people from all over the world, and specifically all over the country, small little towns in Texas, Arkansas, California, people who had never been in New York City. And they were greeted with this gorgeous week, just stunningly beautiful weather and they got here and it was sunny big perfect clouds nice breeze um and they said to my themselves you know new york is amazing yeah i'm gonna live here i'm gonna make this my new home i'm gonna learn how to create and produce and make art and then september 11th happened and so it was I, a tuesday morning it was a tuesday morning and i had a friend named mike who moved from New Jersey, had always lived in suburbia. He was going to New York Film Academy, which is in Union Square, which is on 14th Street. And Mike was crashing in our apartment and getting ready for his first day of school. And he called me on, I had a landline and I had this little shitty cell phone. My first cell phone literally only had one game on it and it was called Falling Numbers. And (laughs) Numbers would appear and you would have to press them on your keypad before they hit the bottom. That was the only game. So, like, it's fucking amazing now. It's a prequel to Frog Fractions. Like, I have GTA on my phone now. Yeah. I didn't even have Snake. That's how shitty my phone was. So, my phone starts going, like, (laughs) doing just that obnoxious, like, early, late 90s Nokia buzz thing. Yeah. And I picked it up and my friend Mike was like, yo, B, I think a plane just flew over Union Square, like, really low and then we heard like a big noise. What the fuck is up with that? Is that a thing here? And I was like, no, it shouldn't be. And he was like, I don't know, like maybe put on the news and check it out. And instead of doing that, I was like, I feel like having a cigarette because I smoked at the time. And I went up to my roof with a cigarette dangling out of my mouth and I lit it and I looked up and I saw the Twin Towers and one of them had a huge hole in it and smoke was coming out. Just bellowing smoke and i was like what the fuck is going on what's happening like i don't have any idea what's happening i ran downstairs and i turned on the tv and there was early reports that like a small commercial or private jet had accidentally crashed into a building in downtown manhattan that's all they knew then they started showing shots of the twin towers 
And I was like, why am I watching this on TV? I can see this same shot from my roof. And I ran upstairs, and then the second plane flew in and hit. So you saw it happen. And then I knew this is not an accident. This is controlled. This is a strike that was deliberate. Then I ran downstairs, turned on the TV again, because I went from being like, what's the news, to I can see it myself, which is a very so you, bizarre... So you watched the second plane hit the building? Yeah. So this is a very bizarre way to consume an event, is mm-hmm. to sort of, through the filter of your own mind, and through what the news and every news station is telling you. I'll, I think a lot of people don't get that anymore, because, yeah. I mean, it's just odd to be like, at the center of something as it's happening and then also run downstairs to get your information, but know that there's something happening in front of you with your own eyes. that needs to be watched even if it's hard to see. Mm-hmm. So I went downstairs and then I started calling everyone I knew. Yeah. My mother immediately, first person I called and went right to voicemail. Did you know why you were calling? No, no, no one did, yeah. but everyone in the city was calling at the exact same time. So could you even get calls out? No. So yeah. all the, all the networks went down. Yeah. Everything went away. And you didn't know why. I didn't know why. And um, I left a message on my mother's answering machine that I believe she still still has. She saved it somewhere. And it's like it was like, hey, mom, it's Brian. Uh, I, I heard like this loud noise. And my friend called me. And I went upstairs on the roof. And it looks like the, the Twin Towers got hit with something and it's really bad, but I like, I'm going to stay and find and see what happened. Call me back. It was just like a fear and a terror in my voice, but not also no information. And she still has this. Yeah. It's the phone calls. I remember most about that day. Isn't it weird? Yeah. The, the answering machine voicemails, the phone calls, it's the thing that stuck with me over the years. I, I wish I had the one still, but hearing you say that, I'm, I'm glad you still have that. That's so, extraordinary. So the news started saying that it was an attack. I don't know if they were saying terrorism right away, mm-hmm. but they were saying it was some kind of attack. Yeah. And again, I went back upstairs, went back downstairs, back upstairs, back downstairs. It was four floors of running frantically and getting a little bit of news. And right, because it's upstairs. not like you had a smartphone to check the yeah. internet. No, you know, nothing you like that. You couldn't just stand up there I had a phone that. with numbers right. on Those it. didn't exist. Yeah. 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 And my phone didn't even work that day. So yeah. you couldn't even, so just I don't even running. think you could check whatever so version. just TV and up and down. Yeah. Okay. I think my phone had an email. Other people in the building doing the same thing? Yeah. yeah. So everyone now was on their roof all around you um, crying. And now all of a sudden people were like, this is, this is a, this is a devastating thing. And I don't think we knew at first because it seemed like it was okay. And then you started realizing, oh yeah, that's right. It's 9.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. Those buildings are full of people. Like they're full of people working and they can't get out. And if there are people in the middle of those buildings, they're probably dead. And if there's people underneath where they got hit, they didn't, they got hit sort of diagonally. Right. Um, and then my friend Mike came back because school was canceled, class was canceled, and he was freaking out. And he was like, I, I don't want to be in the city. I don't want to be here. I want to leave. I want to get the fuck out of here. I want to go back to New Jersey. I'm going to go to a sporting goods store. I'm going to get a raft. I'm going to blow up a raft, and I'm going to go across the Hudson River, and I'm going to go back to New Jersey and get the fuck out of here. And we are like, Mike, calm down. Just sit down. Here, take, here, grab a beer from the fridge. Just relax. I immediately started drinking. 
I reached in my fridge, I pulled a 40 ounce out, which is what you drink in New York City. And also I was broke. And I started drinking a 40 ounce and I was talking to my friend and I was calming him down. Trying um, to keep him from hopping yeah. in a raft. Yeah. Were, the, were the bridges closed? Were the tunnels closed? They were just being paranoid and not letting anybody in or out, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, I, with um, what was going on. That, yeah. What about, I mean, every time a plane flew over, what happened? Like, so, yeah, so I'll get to that in a second. Oh, so okay. my friend Mike was freaking out, like yeah. could not, could not sit still. And I was like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom and I'm going to come right back. And then we'll, we'll talk about like the best way to get you home. I got out of the bathroom. I came back and he was gone from the living room. He had, eventually I found out he had ran out of my apartment. He had ran to the, uh, GW bridge and him and a, a mob of people pushed back a thin wall of cops, pushed through them. And ran across the GW Bridge onto the highways in New Jersey on Route 4 where they met their parents and families who came on the, other on side the highway. Trying to find them. Yeah. So they actually ran through a police line. They ran through a police barricade. I've never seen the image of that. Yeah, I, I, well, because I, it's not really a thing that... It's like when people talk about September 11th, they don't, they don't really talk about the... Again, like I said, like New York City is the giant monumental buildings and it is the street level of the stories you don't hear yeah, and the pizza rats and the pizza rats that day fled across the bridge and they tried to flee across the river and they did what they could to get the fuck out. Everybody ran yeah. and everybody ran. And I had this weird fucking thing happen to me where yeah. I was like, I can't leave. Why was that? I didn't want to. I, I felt, I felt drawn to New York more than I'd ever been drawn to anything. I felt not necessarily a camaraderie yet because there was so much confusion, but I felt this magnetism and connection in that I couldn't, I didn't want to abandon it. Not like I could help it in any way, but I didn't want to. That's how you felt. Yeah. And it sounds, I mean, so did all the other people. I said, everybody ran. That was, that was in a, like incorrect earlier. Percentage of people people ran. I I think that, yeah, because they wanted to get, Yep. to other people they loved or away from that place. Yeah. But it's, the roofs were still full of people. Yep, the roofs were still full of people. So I wanted to be there. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay. So I, you asked me about the planes. I went up to the roof. And now um, fighter jets were coming in to the city every five minutes. Just flying low? Just like <laughs> just huge military fighting jets flying into the city, flying overhead like we were in a war zone. Yeah. And they were flying past the Empire State Building. And when we would run downstairs to use the bathroom or grab cigarettes or more beer and turn on the TV, what the news kept showing that day was the Twin Towers with two smoking holes in them and the Empire State Building. And they kept showing this ominous shot of the Empire State Building because we all thought it was next. Mm -hmm. And now my apartment was like 10 blocks away from the Empire State Building. And fighter jets were flying over the city. Yeah. So we all thought we were going to watch another building get attacked today. Yeah. Luckily, we did not. Yeah. Um, so I stood on my roof. I watched those fighter jets, terrified, just terrified and scared, crying. Everyone is in tears. Um, people are coping in whatever way they can. They're screaming. They're drinking. They're catatonic. Um, and... Again, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. That's the fucked up thing. Like when you think it's, it wasn't like, it's not like children of men, mm-hmm. you know, it's There's not, not gray skies and dark no. dystopian. It's, it's, it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. And now 
you know, you're trying to call all your friends that you know that are downtown. I think that like you would maybe get a call in every few hours. I think I got in touch with my parents finally and I said, I'm going to stay. And they said, come home. And I said, I can't, I have to stay. I have to, I can't leave this place right now. And I stayed on my roof and eventually in the afternoon, I want to say around one or two o'clock, maybe even earlier or later, I don't know. Um, the smoke was bellowing so heavily from the Twin Towers that they begin to crumble under the weight of the heat and destruction. And they collapsed and um, you saw the blue sky behind them. And it was the first time you've ever seen the blue sky behind the Twin Towers because the Twin Towers always stood in front of it. They were there. They, they were, were there. Constantly, persistently there. And to see a blue sky behind them meant that they were gone. And so it's it wasn't this ominous no. idea of, of pallor. I mean, obviously there was smoke and you had the you've seen the images of, of the smoke pouring down the streets yep. and the, but it was blue sky. It was blue sky. It was oh. it was beauty in a way. In in that there was a relief to the destruction by seeing like a blue sky full of sun and white clouds, which is the most naturally beautiful thing that this earth can 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 provide. But it wasn't the way it was supposed but to be. But it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And it was the weirdest. It was like the worst reveal of a perfect day. You know? What did that do to you, Brian? I mean, it wrecked me. It wrecked because you heard the gasps of everyone around me on the roofs, all around people screaming, crying. That's when they knew there wasn't a chance of survival for anybody up above. We just hoped everyone got out. We read the news stories about how many people worked there on an average day, about how many buildings around it were now collapsing under the weight of heat and um, the, the wreckage it was doing to downtown, how the every cop and 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 firemen in the city was there, how people from all over the place were coming in to help. Um, it destroyed me. Like it completely destroyed me because I didn't, I didn't understand why that would happen. Why anyone would do that. What, what New York did to deserve it. Like New York wasn't Washington. And then you started reading about the Pentagon and, yeah. and the plane that fell in, I believe it was in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Um, and you realized this was like a, this was a very, very sinister, very calculated attack on America. But I didn't understand why New York, outside of it being the financial epicenter, I didn't understand why it was the Twin Towers. I didn't understand why they knocked those buildings down specifically. I think it's because there were more people in them than there was in the Empire State Building. And that blowing up the statue on Ellis Island would have been, you know, like it's kind of a hokey gesture from like an Independence Day sequel. You know, it'd be like, well, why, why yeah. that? You know, but this was truly horrible. This was truly horrible. And it was, it was something that like watching those buildings collapse and watching the, the sky be revealed from behind them is something I'll never forget. Um, Have you carried it with you? Since? Oh yeah. 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 That doesn't go away. No. I, I mean, there was, I mean, I saw, t I saw, oh, I, I saw close to 3000 people die that day, Yeah, you know, without knowing it. But New York is not defined by 9-11. And it's not, it, it will never be defined by tragedy. I, to me, New York is defined by the way it came together right afterwards. And that was a very strange, very cold, very, 
very scared city afterwards. And um, so quick, yeah. quick yeah, timeline, that, yeah. 24 hours after um, people, lo- local sto- shopkeepers tried going back to work. Um, the stores started opening up a little bit. Uh, no one was allowed anywhere near downtown. You couldn't go down to the financial district and, and, yeah. and you wanted to because you wanted to hold, hold people and hug people, but you couldn't, you started reading stories about all the bodies they were pulling out. You started reading stories about all the firemen that were, that were hurt or killed. Um, and then a weird thing happened. This, uh, the reality kicked in that these buildings were made of materials and these materials burst into flames those days and copy machines and coffee machines and paperwork and people and stucco and old pipes and drains and everything all burned at the same time that day. And that smoke created a cloud and that cloud was like the nothing from the never ending story that made its way uptown. So little by little, you could actually see it like a, like this lumbering giant walk towards where I was on 27th, um, which is 27 streets above the financial district. And it started creeping up towards us to the point where for a few hours or a day, you couldn't really see a street in front of you. There was thick white smoke in the air, but everyone was assuring us it'll be okay. Governor Chris, you know, governor, I believe it was, uh, Christy Todd Whitman, I believe said that, uh, that it was fine. They did tests on the air. It was no, it wasn't. Like we all know that. We all know it wasn't. And we breathed it. And I went out there with my dog, and I put a little mask on him, and I put a little mask on me. I had painting masks from when I painted, and I walked him, and you know, he, I brought him back inside, and then we stayed inside. And I talked to my friends who were going to uh, school at Parsons and other colleges that were closer to the financial district, and they said that they had been breathing in. You know, basically they had to get kicked out of their, leave their apartments because there was just white smoke in the air. Yeah. Um, eventually the smoke passed, but near me on 27th and Lexington was a building called the Armory. And the Armory is where they were bringing the bodies to be identified. And that's where I saw a level of darkness that I've never understood and will hopefully never see again. And that's where I saw the widows, husbands, wives, children, family members, friends. Um, and I watched an entire street turn into a candlelit vigil with missing pictures of people who hadn't been identified or hadn't been found. And there were flowers everywhere. There were candles. There were pictures and everything. What happened in the few weeks after that was New York went New York like it always does every winter. And it got wet and snowy and rainy. And the candles started going out and the flowers started dying and the pictures started ripping down. And I still walk by all the time to see, because I was connected to it and I was curious, how are people handling this? Because I didn't know myself. And you would see women screaming, crying, being like, my husband is a Marine. He knows how to survive. He's alive down there. He's okay. He probably built a shelter beneath the rubble they're going to pull him out and he's going to be okay this is like days later weeks later um just un- incapable of actually accepting the reality that this, what this is this is what would happen and then well, you started hearing all the stories about people who um uh, played hooky that day and didn't come to work about like the 
German shepherds that were there about the, just a lot of just insane human stories that came out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's, I believe, um, in Fahrenheit nine 11, Michael Moore tells the story of like the guy that had like a bad burrito the night before and got diarrhea and missed work that day. Mm -hmm. Um, I had my aunt, uh, her company was in that building on a lower floor and a bunch of them were able to evacuate safely. Um, you just heard all these different sides of it. And then we started hearing about Al-Qaeda. We started hearing about uh, terrorism. Um, now we are now veering into the winter. Uh, I believe I believe George W. Bush is about to be sworn in office. Oh, he's already president. Oh, he's already president. Right. That's yeah. right. I'm sorry. That's yeah, because he was there for the... Um, reading the the book to the kids during that that day mm -hmm. um and now new york is a different place because it lost you couldn't go to a pizza place in new york city for like 30 years without seeing the a picture this faded purple picture of a new york city skyline that had the twin towers on it you couldn't watch a movie about new york city without seeing the twin towers if they're in the beginning of fucking ninja turtles everything oh yeah you 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 were standing Every day in your childhood, looking across yeah. that, uh, looking across that water, and there yeah. they were at that iconic skyline. skyline that is now, you know, changed forever. You told me something once. Um, you know, as a painter, you find yourself now, fifteen years later, still painting skylines. Yeah, always. You trying to put the towers back in there? <sighs> I think. I think I'm trying to put something there i think i'm whether or not it's there i don't when i draw skylines they're more abstract which is odd because the to me they are abstract shapes you know and they're really nothing when you look at them from a distance it's just a series of rectangles and triangles and squares um but i did i did understand that they were gone when they were gone i didn't understand the freedom tower i didn't understand the justification or the the logic behind building building a bigger thing than the thing that was there to me it felt like they were building a middle finger and like going so i didn't i didn't go to ground zero for two years after 9 11. I, I walked close one night and i don't think i was trying to i think i was just like out bar hopping with my friends we went and got some dinner i turned the corner and i saw it was barricaded and you could still see some fences and some rubble and i said oh man I didn't realize we were so close. But I went two years later, and there were fences wrapped all around it. There were uh, hot dog vendors standing in front of it. There were people selling bootleg FDNY hats that they got from China. There were people from all over the world coming to buy souvenirs, to buy, like, tchotchkes, to buy little, you know, plastic statuettes of eagles and america american flags and the twin towers taxi cabs like at weird little uh cop action figures anything they could to sort of support in their own weird way which i found there was a thin line between like showing support and just people who were basically profiteering off of tragedy what that do to you it grossed me out i mean i remember looking over and seeing a bunch of this, like, there was this like mother with her three kids and her kids were climbing the fence that were looking into the to in, into the, the where the, the where the rubble was where there was now a hole a gaping hole where beautiful monuments used to stand and the kids were climbing the fence and they were laughing and part of me got angry 
and wanted to go over and tell her, like, get your kids off that fence. Like, this is a fucking grave. And the other part of me was like, they're kids. Like, I would I would have done the same at the Holocaust Museum when I was five. I don't know. Like, why would why should they have the joy and wonder beaten out of them too? For them, it's a fence. Can they climb it? Maybe not. Maybe they can try. I don't want to take that from them. So from there, they built a uh, September 11th memorial, which I went to three years ago. Another very beautiful day, very cold. Uh, My wife and I went to get into this thing. It was basically like it's ironically like going through airport security um, in the most strange twist of fate. Um, And there were people there taking selfies, which I found disgusting. You know, they were, they, they did something really beautiful there though. They built these two holes. Have you seen it? What they've done there? They, they built these holes that have these fountains that they look bottomless. It looks like you're looking into the center of the earth, Hmm. which is odd. Um, but there's something calming and beautiful about it. But out of the corner of my eye, I noticed this massive building that they were building and that was the freedom tower. Hmm. And it felt like a very George W. Bush thing to do. To just sort of be like, they cut off my dick and I'm making a bigger dick, you know? And they're calling it the Freedom Tower, like when they call them Freedom Fries and all that. I'm I'm okay with it now. I think it's a beautiful building. But it took me it took me a couple of years to be like I really I to me there should have been a park there. Mm-hmm. There should have been a wall. You, you felt names. like you understood the intention of the response, but it wasn't the way you'd have gone with it. It felt like uh, well fuck you, we're gonna build Something even bigger, but that's not. Yeah, my call we, to make, we, well, you know? we all have different calls on how to do it. I, but no, I, I understand that. I, I have. Yeah, again, we're we're not going to get too political. The, yeah. September 11th, I was not in New York, um, but uh, my heart was broken as much by our response as it was by what happened. Uh, I felt like we made, we took a bad situation and other bad things came out of that. Well, New York, um, New York City pro- protested the shit out of that war. Yeah. Do you know why? Because we knew what it felt like to have that level of 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 terror unleashed upon us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who were far from ground zero, very far from ground zero in America, wanted that war because they weren't on the front steps of what that war could do to people. I saw firsthand what would terrorism and destruction can do to a people and i didn't want to see that happen to anyone ever again you've literally stood in a war zone that's just something most of us have never done Mm -hmm. that story you told that's what happened and um thank you for telling it i know it's not an easy i can't imagine i mean i'm saying i know i i I know it's not an easy story to tell i'll never understand exactly why and how um i do I, i do feel bad for the people like my friend Mike who left New York, not just that day, but for good. I think there's a lot of people who came to New York to learn about art and culture and people, and they left, and they thought that that's what New York is, and it's not. Mike never came back then? I mean... Not to live, not to study. Not for school, not for study. I don't think not, that's... Not for all the things that you love the city for. Right, and many people never did, and I think I go back all the time. I go back there seven times a year because I love it there well and yeah you go back you just got back actually yeah yeah yeah. so it has gone on it has grown it has rebuilt not the way that you wished it would Mm -hmm. but it has gone on being New York yeah it has grown and moved through this experience without ignoring it it sounds like it seems to be very much a part of the context of the place so very briefly let me ask you this 
how, what is New York today? And who are you, Brian Altano, today, thanks to New York, both the trauma and the joy of it? What's it made you? This is um, two questions. What's New York first? And second, what's it made you in all its pieces? That's really good. I think, um, I think New York is a stronger place than it's ever been. Um, I hope it's a more tolerant place than it's ever been. I know that there was, right after 9-11, there was an uh, ugly side where now Muslim cab drivers were getting attacked by you know, drunk, drunk guys who, you know, just needed a, a victim or they needed a, a scapegoat. Um, I think it's gotten stronger. I think when people are like, never forget, they're not really saying to never forget that we got attacked and that it could happen at any given moment. It's to never forget that a city full of randomized people, and impossibly tall buildings and a populace that you feel no real connection to because it's ever changing got together the same way they did to celebrate the Yankees parade or, you know, Jay-Z selling out the garden. They got together because they love each other and they love the place they are. And that's what they're saying. Never they're, they're saying never forget to camaraderie in the face of tragedy. And I think, it's taught me that when things go bad in my personal life or things go bad for my friends, there it's not something that you are ever expected to handle completely on your own. It is something that you are stronger with others. You're stronger in, in, in numbers. You are more powerful being creative. You are more powerful. You are more cathartic talking to people. You are, we, we are not individuals. And I think, our world is making us feel that way now. The way we, our social media, the way our phones are little mirrors, the way everything is so sort of xenophobic, the way we are so on our own all the time, you constantly feel alone, probably more than ever now. I think people are even terrified to talk to each other. I always say it's a fucking miracle we're even doing this. <laughs> but I think what it's made me dealing with tragedy with family or with friends or anything like that is it's made me go, I can get through this if I speak if, if I come together with good people and if I stay optimistic, if I keep creating, if I keep finding what's beautiful in this world, if I keep looking at wonder, if I keep looking at up at tall buildings and knowing that they're bigger than me and that they're bigger than anything I'll ever understand and to keep making until I make something big enough that someone else can look at it like that. Um, it's, it's taught me to never stop and to keep making and then be closer than ever with the people who that mean the most to me. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. I think that uh, that's a wrap right there. We'll see you next time. Thanks for having me.